So, um, so Calvin's going to be out in the lobby afterwards at a little table. So if you, um, if you want to stop by, get on his prayer list, I encourage you, um, partner with him. We, we, uh, we as a church family are going to be partnering with um, Calvin. And also, I um, mean, two weeks ago, we had Derek Shidla up here, um, who was like literally like grew up as a little kid in this church. And we sent him down to San Diego. And so, um, man, it's just a beautiful thing. It's like, it's like, what more could we want? You know, we could just be a group that kind of hangs out and enjoys being together. And that is lovely. I do love that about us. Um, but also there's this opportunity to send and to, um, to, to like see, man, what God's doing, big picture. And broadly, we get to see that. We get to be part of it. Um, and so this is a cool moment. And I love that. And I love, I love the like picture of us like nurturing people, sending them out. I love the picture of us raising our hands and blessing and like just saying, these are our people. We're sending them out. And um, this morning, I love that so much. We're going to talk about it in this sermon this morning. So if you, if you brought your Bible, uh, open to Luke chapter 10. Um, if you, if you did not, no big deal. I'm going to put it on the uh, screen here. Um, but what, what we're going to do, we're, we're actually next week, we're starting a, a series on Ecclesiastes. And so, um, soak up all the hope and encouragement you can this week because it gets a little bit bleak when we dive into there, but it's going to be awesome. I, I love Ecclesiastes. I can't wait to dive in. But what we wanted to do here is, um, we started the summer, uh, looking at, 1 Corinthians 3. And so I don't know if you remember that, but we talked about, um, like, let's use our summer uh, to be planting seeds and watering seeds. The idea of gospel farming. It was uh, this simple thing for 1 Corinthians 3 that was just saying, hey, as we enter our summer, let's use it relationally. Let's use it to plant seeds. Let's use it to water seeds. God's the one who causes the growth. And so that was the call at the beginning. And then, man, the last couple of weeks, we had George Walker, who is a missionary to Papua New Guinea. He's a, a member of our church, but he did that, planted a church. He t- shared this amazing story of how God worked through him and his team as they just went uh, as the hands and feet of Jesus to this tribe and to see the way they responded to Jesus. It's incredible. Um, last week, Nathan talked to us about Jesus coming, eating, and drinking, right? And he's with people eating and drinking, and Nathan called us, let's bless like Jesus does. And so he called us to bless people, to eat with people, to, um, to uh, listen and to learn from people and to send each other out. This beautiful reminder. And this morning, I want to kind of give us one more week. One more dose of that idea of who we are as a people is being sent. Um, We get to send Calvin. It's exciting. We got to send Derek. It's exciting. The reality is is there's a bigger picture for sending than just that in the Bible, and we're going to look at that here. So Luke chapter 10, uh, if you want to follow along, we're going to start with the first couple of verses here. So it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here's Jesus, and this is picking up the story kind of midstream, but Jesus had in Luke 9, the chapter previous, he had taken his 12 disciples and he sent them out. He gave them power and authority and he's like, go and heal the sick and uh, proclaim the kingdom of God. And so they went out and they did that. Then in between, it was a normal day for Jesus. He also fed 5,000 people miraculously. That's just kind of what he did. And then now we're here in Luke chapter 10 and Jesus is now taking 72 of his followers. And he's saying, okay, you guys, I'm grabbing you together. You're going to go and you're going to be sent out. So why? Why 72 people? He sent the 12. That makes sense. Now 72. And, and perhaps Jesus just happened to have 72 people there and they're just counting it up. I think often it's a little more like symbolic than all that. Um, and I think where this comes from probably is Numbers chapter 11. It was, it was God's people Israel. They'd just been led out in the Exodus. And Moses is like leading these people, but the people 
um, were kind of a buzzkill for Moses, and they were a little bit grumbly, a lot grumbly. And so Moses had to take uh, some extra people, call 70 other of the elders to help him lead this people because they're coming out of the Exodus into the promised land, right? So Moses gets 70 together, the Spirit of God fills them, and they help him lead. And interestingly, now some, some of your Bibles have the number 70 here in, um, in Luke chapter 10, the number 70. Others of your Bibles have the number 72, okay? And it's like, there's like a whole thing of reasons why um, either one is possible. But this is what's interesting. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses gets 70 people to help him lead the people. And then by the end of the chapter, two more people kind of randomly show up and get filled by the Spirit and also go. So either way, it actually fits this whole thing. But the point of it is, Jesus is taking his followers, and what he does with his followers is not just make them feel great, not just teach them, not just train them, he's also sending them out. And here's the reality. It's so beautiful to get to send Calvin, to get to send Derek, to, see, to hear about George going everywhere in the world. It's so beautiful, right? But here's the reality. Jesus doesn't have a single disciple that he does not send out as well. There's not a single, like what it means to follow Jesus. There's no such thing as someone who follows Jesus that's not also sent out by Jesus to go and do the thing. Now, if you look at the lay of the land for like modern day Christianity, for the church um, as we experience it, you'd get the idea, like imagine this. Imagine Jesus is with his disciples. And here's what Jesus did with his disciples as he went along. This isn't true, but just imagine. Jesus gets his disciples together. He says, hey guys, could you all like grab a chair and let's get together, right? Okay, put the chairs in rows like this. Oh, those are a little bit tough. Let's get some padded chairs and, and some cushions so we can sit together. Now, okay, I need anyone play an instrument? Okay, good. You guys come, like play your instruments for us. Is there anyone here that can make some announcements at the end of this after I teach, right? Like you'd imagine that Jesus spent all his times with his disciples creating a gathering exactly like this, right? Because if you look at the church around the United States at least, um, it sure looks like this, right? And and the emphasis is definitely on this. So we'd imagine, okay, Jesus is the one that started the church. What he wanted his church to look like, obviously exactly like this. Jesus sent them out saying, do exactly this week after week, and that's all I ever want from you, right? I'm being very tongue-in-cheek. What Jesus actually did, right? What Jesus actually did is he traveled around with his disciples. He trained them. He taught them. There's, there's obviously an important place for preaching and for worshiping and for us gathering together. It's very important. But what Jesus did with his disciples is he went about and he healed people and he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And then he took his disciples and said, look, this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to send you out into the world of the people that are all around you. Like this is the point of it is, is not the training time. This isn't the point. The point is I'm sending you out and I want you to go to like whoever you encounter, wherever you can. And I want you to spend like the rest of human history doing this, going out and helping people see who I really am. Like, that's actually what Jesus did. This is what he's doing here in Luke chapter 10. I heard this, uh, this great story from John Piper. Um, I love John Piper. And he was sharing a, a, an example he heard actually from Ralph Winter, who's a missiologist. But he's talking about the Queen Mary. So I don't know if you've seen this ship, the Queen Mary, but like back in the early 1930s, this was like a luxury liner, okay? And it was like, it was massive. So this massive luxury liner could, could fit 3,000 people um, in like the highest luxury, okay? So everything is just like gilded and amazing and comfortable. And so this ship like did a handful of years of service as a luxury liner. But then World War, War one, or World War II breaks out a little bit later by the end of the 30s. And, um, and that ship got transformed. Not a luxury liner anymore. Now it's gonna be a troop transport, okay? And so they, they sent all the troops, uh, you know, with all the... Uh, 
fine china and comfortable beds. No, of course they didn't. They, um, they transformed that ship into a military transport. And now instead of holding 3,000 people, because the military is the military, they're like, well, people don't need to be comfortable. They just need to go what we do what we tell them, right? And uh, so they now fit 15,000 people into that ship, right? Instead of 3,000. And all the like frills and comforts are gone. It's now has a mission. It has a purpose, right? They took a ship that was meant for luxury and comfort, and they made it more like mission ready, right? So if I ask you, like, which version of the Queen Mary best fits the American church today, what should we say? And of course, of course, the answer is not the austere one that's really, like, focused on completing a mission, right? No, the American church is the luxury liner, for sure, right? And, and the whole point of it is, let's all be comfortable together, you know? Like, let's eat together. Let's hang out. Like, like let, it's got to work well for us. Otherwise, we're not really even interested in getting on the ship, right? I think that's where we've gone. But I think there's a place. Now, it's not to say, um, hey, guys, can we get rid of these padded seats? Let's find, anyone know of a less comfortable kind of a seating that we can do, you know? Like, that's not the point, right? Um, the point is to say, there's a mission. There's a, there's a purpose to us gathering. Like Jesus, Jesus wasn't trying to just get as many people into a building week after week as he possibly could. Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I want everybody to experience me, to encounter me. And that's going to mean, come follow me so that I can teach you how to get other people to have an encounter with me. So this is what Jesus is saying um, to his people. And so he gathers these 72 and he sends them on ahead of him, two by two. I love that. He's sending them together. They're not just isolated. They're, they're not alone. They're together. That's literally our mission statement as Creekside Church is that we are glorifying God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. It's a together type of thing. Sends them out. And what are they supposed to do? They're sent together and they're sent um, to model community together by being together, going together, and also to prepare the way for people to have an encounter with Jesus. That's what they're doing. Because he says, he's sending them um, everywhere that he himself was about to go. So I love this. He, he's going to go there. Jesus is going to make his um, appearance and talk to people there. But first he's saying, I want my disciples to go first to kind of prepare the way and, and I'll be there afterwards. Like I'm going to go, but I want you to prepare the way. To me, that is so reassuring because if this mission is our mission, we, if we are indeed sent out by Jesus, the scary thing is I do not know how to save anybody's soul. Like, I don't. I've been to seminary and everything. Like, I've read a lot of books on this stuff. I do not know how to save anybody's soul. I don't know how to take someone's heart that's, like, wrapped around their own money um, and their own fame and their own thing and, and dismantle that in a way that they see Jesus for who he actually is and find life and letting go. I, I don't know how to do that. I'm incapable of that. And the reality is, even if you think maybe you can, you can't. It's not something we can do. But what we can do is this. We can be sent out by Jesus. We can experience Jesus ourselves. We can be sent out by him. We can go to all the places that Jesus is going to go, and we can begin to prepare the way so that that person can have an encounter with Jesus. The only thing that matters is that that person has an encounter with Jesus. And when someone encounters Jesus, then they can find that transformation. They can find that loosening of their grip on all the things that matter most. They can find healing and hope and peace, but until they encounter Jesus. So our whole point is to go out into the world around us and begin to just prepare people for an encounter with Jesus. Talk about what our experience of Jesus is like um, and, and to offer that kind of hope to people as well. See, Jesus is calling them and he, he says it like this. Like, it's a scary idea, uh, I think, being sent, okay? Because we know what it's like to come to church. It's a scary thought to be like, okay, I'm sent. What will I do out there on my own? And we feel like people are super unreceptive to that, right? I mean, it just like feels scary, like people are going to be terrible. But Jesus says it like this. Like he doesn't say, um, 
um, hey, you're going to go and it's going to be slim pickings out there. Like he, he says that to Jeremiah, actually. Jer- the prophet Jeremiah, the beginning of his ministry started with God saying to him, hey, you're going to go and proclaim my word to this people. And here's the deal, Jeremiah, no one is going to listen to you. Like he tells him that up front. It's a really depressing start to the book. He tells him up front, nobody's going to listen to you, but I want you to say it anyways. And then Jeremiah, for this whole long book of Jeremiah, goes and he says all these amazing things from God to the people. And then sure enough, nobody listens to him the entire time. He's just this crazy person, whatever. So God could, Jesus could have been saying that to us. Like, hey, I want you to go. And because he's like the Lord, he, because he's God himself, he has the right to tell us like, hey, this is going to be impossible, but go do it anyways. But what Jesus says is so different than that. He says, look, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, right? He says that the harvest is plentiful. The, the reason, the problem here is not that the harvest isn't plentiful. The reason is that the laborers are few. It, there's this massive harvest out there and all I need is people to go. And so he calls his 72 and he says, please be praying with me. Pray that the Lord would send people out into this harvest. There's all this work that I want to do in the people around you, and all I need is people to step up and to go. And so he calls them to pray. And I love this. Calls them to pray, Lord, please send people out to the harvest. And then he says, okay, and now also you go, and you go begin uh, doing this kind of farming work. It's a plentiful harvest. Lord, pray, and then be the answer to your own prayer by going. And um, as Jesus sends us to see what God is going to do. See, I think this changes it. If we see it as a harvest, what happens with a harvest is it's, a, it's a, like a field that needs to be tended, right? A crop that needs to be cared for. And it's something that's worth us investing in. I think we've been training ourselves and been trained by um, secular media, media and by, I think, Christian culture. We've been trained to look at the people in the world around us with a lot of fear, Right? And often look at the people in the world around us with actually kind of disgust, right? And we think, man, these people hate us. Man, these people are out to get us. Man, these people will never agree with what I want to do. And so we're taught to kind of like shelter a little bit more and retreat a little bit more and be afraid of what they're going to teach us and our kids and whatever. And, And look, I'm not saying that there's nothing scary out there. Of course there is, right? Of course there is. But what I'm saying is Jesus says, when you look at the world around you, just know this, the harvest is plentiful, All I need is some laborers to go out into it. And so if we change our mindset and we stop being freaked out by what everyone's going to say and do to us or to our families or whatever, like they're harvest. They're worth investing in. They're people to get to know. They're people to be loved. And I think through that, we begin to see the transformation. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. But I think this is literally the thing that Jesus is sending us out to do. So what do we do? How do we go about this whole thing? He says in the next couple verses, verses 3 and 4, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. This is bleak. I'm just going to be honest. (laughs) Sending them out. And in the first thing, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves, okay? So I, so I, you know, now Jesus is saying, this is going to be intense, okay? Like, but, but the, the picture that he's giving is this. There's a plentiful harvest, but he's like, it's like, it's like I've got these wolves that I need like something done with. And so who am I going to pick? I'm not going to pick like the rugged, like, I don't know, who's the Bear Gorillas or something that could just like probably dominate a wolf or train it on the spot. I don't know what it would be like. I'm not looking for tough people to dominate the world around me. I'm not looking for an army to go out and conquer people. He's saying, look, if, if everyone around us is wolves, then I need some lambs that I can just let loose into that wolf pen, right? See, I think, I think we, the fear comes from, man, the world around us is scary, so we, we can't uh, be there, right? It's dangerous for us. And I think Jesus is saying, the world's dangerous, 
So I want to send these little lambs into the midst of it. It's this beautiful picture that I think fits God so well. Because, I mean, there's a story in the Old Testament of Gideon. And God has this military conquest against these really intimidating people. And Gideon's going to go lead the army. And God's like, hang on, I know you're ready to go, but I am afraid, Gideon, that your army is a little bit too large. I need to pare that down a bit. And so strips it down. And then once again, Gideon's ready to go. And God's like, hang on, your army still feels a little bit big to me. Let's get more people away from you. And so Gideon then with this small little band of people, this is the group that God uses to defeat his enemies. And I think this is a similar kind of idea. Man, if, I, if I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves, what I really need for that is not conquerors, not really intense people, not big strategists, not people that know everything, not people that are really tough. What I need is people to just be lambs that just walk right into the midst of it. And, and I, I just get this picture of almost like um, Daniel when he's thrown into the lion's den and God just supernaturally shuts the mouths of the lions. It's like, hey, you can be a lamb in the midst of a dangerous situation if the good shepherd is there watching out for you, right? And I think this is it. We're sent out. We're not, and, and he says, like, don't bring anything. No money, no, no, no sandals. Like, don't bring anything. I want you to go with no strategy, no plan, and no provisions. I just want you to go. Like, go right now and go out and, and don't worry. I've got all of this covered. And I love that whole picture of this whole thing. There's no strategy. It's just simply, look, do you trust me? Have you seen me do these things? Do you trust me? Will you go? And he sends his followers. Man, it is such a scary, but I think awesome uh, calling that he gives us because the things that make us feel um, inadequate, I think that perhaps the task itself, you know, we, like is too intimidating, but I think often it's like, but I don't really know what I am capable of, right? And I think Jesus is saying here like, okay, look, I want to be clear. You're not capable. You're like a lamb. I mean, it's a bunch of wolves. Um, I don't want you to bring anything that might make you feel better prepared for what you're doing. I just want you to go. I, man, I love that. We're freed to know that he does not think we're capable, that he's sending us anyways because he's going to do something big. All right, now what do they actually do? What are they called to actually do as they go? Verses 5 through 8 here, he says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a, a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So let's pause right there for a minute. Oh, no, let's do verse 9 since it's on there. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, so in this whole thing, go out. Just go, no provisions, no anything. Like it's going to be intense, but don't worry. It's a harvest field. I'm going to provide everything. So what do we do? What's the strategy that we do? We go into a house and we say what? Peace be to you, right? That's what we carry with us is words of peace. And so we're called into this whole thing and into a world, like in this world at this time, as Jesus is writing this, um, Israel was dominated by Rome. And man, there was a whole big subgroup of Israelites that wanted to get some military might together and overthrow the Roman oppressors so they can be their own independent nation again, right? That's what they wanted to do. And Jesus is saying, go into that world and man, instead of fighting, instead of like getting back, you know, what you want politically, just proclaim peace to the people you go to. And just go, like, go whatever house, like, proclaim peace. And if anyone's willing to, like, receive that peace, then that's where you invest. That's where you stay. Now, I love it. And he says, like, don't even go house to house. I, I think what I picture there is, like, going house to house is kind of like a quantity thing, right? If you've ever done door-to-door -door sales, it's like as many houses as you can get so you can kind of add up the numbers, right? But no, no, don't go house to house. Just proclaim peace. And if someone's willing to, like, accept you and receive that peace, 
then that's it, right? They're going to put food in front of you. Eat that food with them. Be with them. It's this beautiful picture of an invitation to go out into the community around us. And it doesn't matter how many. It, it doesn't matter. Like there's no, there's no um, quota of anything. But we're simply going place to place. And whoever greets us, whoever welcomes us, man, that's the place where you invest your time. That's where the harvest is going to be found. That is a beautiful, freeing thing. And I love, I love that it involves food and drinking, right? I mean, that's awesome. Can we eat and drink for Jesus? Like, yes, Jesus literally says that we should. I think that's a great invitation that we have. So um, I, I've shared this before, but um, Soren Kierkegaard has this um, analogy of, he talks about, um, I've got a huge man crush on him, so it's just, you know, always at the top of my mind. But he says that um, if, we, if we take Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves, we might ask the question, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked that. Um, who is my neighbor? And we can get kind of caught up in like, okay, yeah, where do, I, where do I start with this? How do I strategize? Like, who's the right person to go to? Kierkegaard says this. Here's how you solve that problem. You, you go into your room, and you stop, and you pray before the Lord. You say, Lord, please um, help me to love my neighbor. Show me who my neighbor is. Okay, so that you do that. Amen. You get up and you walk out your door, and you walk until you meet somebody. And when you meet somebody and you wonder, is this my neighbor or not? The answer is yes. You love that person. The, the neighbor is the first person that you meet, right? And you love that person, and then when that interaction breaks up, then you go to the next person that you encounter, and you ask the same thing. Is this my neighbor? And the answer is always yes. This is my neighbor. And so you love that person. I think Jesus is describing kind of exactly that. Go into these towns, and when you meet someone, man, just, just offer peace to that person. And, and that person then is your neighbor that you're called to love. And this is what it looks like, is simply person by person. We just love the people that we're with. And it, I, there were times in my life where I thought um, representing Jesus was, um, we had little like tracks, and if some of you still do that, that is great. I, I think I've, I've seen people be really fruitful with that, but I, you know, I was taught like, okay, this is how you do it. You walk them through the track, and you got to like, within the next five minutes, you got to get that person to say, yes, I would like to pray and receive Jesus. But I think Jesus, the point of it all is he's just saying, go to those people, man, if they welcome you in, like, that's it. Eat with them. Uh, spend time with them. Like, and, and, and hopefully we're people that are finding life in Jesus. And so we, we, open, um, we open up our lives and we share our experience of Jesus. We offer that to them as well. We, we talk about the things of the Lord, like all of that. But man, um, and he, he basically will go on to say, but if they don't want to listen, then that's, that's their choice. You move on. You shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Now, what do we, what do, we do? So we go, we proclaim peace. And he says in verse 9, Heal the sick in this, in this house, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So what we're doing, what this mission actually entails, is healing the sick and proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, I will be honest, that first one is intimidating to me, okay? Because I'm not like a big healer person, okay? So I'm, I'm sorry some of you could use a pastor like that, and that's not me. There's, um, there's like some of those guys on TV that like take off their jacket and they're just whipping people with it, and those people are getting healed somehow as they fall down, like... Um, that sounds awesome. That's not, that's not me. Um, and I come from a really conservative background on this. And so it is a huge stretch for me to be like, um, all right, oh, you're, you're feeling sick. Hey, all right, bring it on. Let's heal you right now. Like I, I'm all about praying for people, but that, so I, I to be to like, just to be perfectly vulnerable, I feel like that's an area I need to grow in. Like I feel like um, you see Jesus literally going around healing people, right? Literally casting out demons. And then he goes to his disciples, the people that took over for him. And what does he task him with? Go out and heal people and proclaim the kingdom. And what did they do? They literally were like healing people. So I feel like um, we see less of that today than we should. And I think some of that uh, might be our kind of modern, maybe my kind of conservative baggage. I don't know. 
It's something I'm praying with, and I'm just like leaving you with a question mark and not a statement. So there you go. We'll have something to chat about over email later if you want. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, all I'm trying to say with that is um, there also, so there's that reality of like, let's, let's step out in boldness, right? And if someone's hurting, let's do what we can to like help them and heal them and know that God is capable of healing way more than we believe. And I've, I've seen, I'm, I'm saying that, I'm kind of downplaying it. I also have seen a lot of times where like I and the, the church staff, the other elders, like we've prayed over people and miraculous things have happened. Like people have been healed. So I'm, I'm saying that that's true. And that's not because I trained in seminary, okay? I've got my baggage. Um, it's because the spirit of God is inside of me and the spirit of God is inside the elders of this church. And here's the, the kicker. The spirit of God is inside of you, right? And the spirit of God. So I think we can actually take Jesus' words literally, literally and we can go house to house and we can heal. I think so. Keep that in your mind. And uh, there's a bigger theology around that of what happens when God chooses not to do that. But I'm just saying, like, let's, let's be um, brave in that. Also, though, there's healing that looks more like, looks like more than just the physical stuff, okay? So it's, it's more than just um, the physical things. There's healing of like emotional wounds, right? And there's healing of like church hurt types of wounds, right? And there's, there's healing of wounds that have come when like, I thought I had a lot of faith, but I feel like God let me down. And like, there's healing that we can offer people in those types of things, right? But that's a piece of it is the healing. The other side is proclaiming the king, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And I love this picture that we can go um, place to place, whoever we encounter, and we can talk about how the kingdom of God is actually close by. It's actually near to you. We can say that and mean it. And, and here's what this means, I think. that The idea of the kingdom of God is it started in the Old Testament where God um, created his kingdom. That was the people of Israel. They're his kingdom. And what that looked like is he gave them rules and ways of interacting with them, them amongst themselves and with the Lord, ways of interacting that embody the goodness of God. God's designed for humanity. And so there's, there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's worship of the one true God. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus in the New Testament comes and, he, and when he's teaching the disciples to pray, he says, pray like this, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think the idea of God's kingdom coming means the will of God, which is done perfectly in heaven, seeing that being done on earth around us. That's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come. So what does it look like for us now to like live in the kingdom of God? It means the things that, that God wants and that God desires, we make those things reality around us, right? We pray that God would do it. And, and that happens when we're together, man, and we love each other. There's forgiveness amongst us. The kingdom of God is there because that's the will of God being done, right? When we, when we forgive, when we love, when we serve, when we humble ourselves, when we like stop building our own empires, but we love and serve the people around us, that's the kingdom of God present. And so this beautiful picture is that we get to be in this place where, man, we go house to house and we're just, we're healing people, man. We're praying, God, would you work in this situation? Would you use me as an instrument to like heal whatever is hurting these people? And also let's let them know the kingdom of God is here. Would you you like to encounter that kingdom of God. It's a beautiful picture. It's a simple invitation, actually. And, I, and, I, and in, the, in the providence of God, I, I was doing my, my daily Bible reading this morning. I just read through um, uh, chronologically, and, and I got to 2 Kings chapter 7 this morning. And there's this powerful picture in there that I want to share with you. 2 Kings 7, God's people, Israel, are um, they're under siege by the Syrian army. And the Syrian army is like dominating and they've cut it off like all supplies. So the people of Israel are in this city and they're literally starving to death because they can't get supplies. Like so bad that they're like cannibalism is happening. It's like really, really grim chapter. And outside of the gate of the city of Israel, um, outside of the gate, there's these four lepers. And lepers have this skin disease that's really like contagious. And so they're like outside of the city and people will throw them their scraps to kind of help them survive. But nobody wants anything to do with them. The lepers are out there. The people are starving and, and reverting to cannibalism. 
the people outside, they're not getting any scraps. And they're just like, look, we're going to die. Let's go over to the Syrian camp and maybe we just beg mercy. Maybe they'll give us something to eat. Maybe they'll kill us, but let's just go. So they go in desperation to the Syrian camp. And when they, when they get there, they find there's this whole camp that's starving the city, of, the, the city that belongs to Israel. And um, the whole thing is abandoned. But every tent is full of food and gold and provisions and all these kinds of things. And so these four lepers are like, Oh my gosh, we came just for mercy and we're finding like a party. So they have a party, these four guys, they have a party and they're just like eating everything they can, just gorging themselves. And they're like taking the, the like treasures and they're hiding them like, man, this is awesome. But then at some point their conscience pricks, right? And they're like, we can't just sit here and get fat and lazy while everyone in the city is dying. And so they go back and they talk to the city. And here's the beautiful thing. This city in which they're literally outcasts, right? They're not, they're not welcome in the city at all. They are outcasts from that city. But they go back and they say, hey, just thought you guys might want to know. There's a whole bunch of food and provisions out here. What had happened is God had miraculously chased the army off and they just left everything. But nobody knew, right? Everyone was just sitting there living in fear until these four guys came back to these people that hate them and don't care about them and just said, hey, there's a lot of food out here, and they get to experience it. Now, I read that this morning, and I just feel like it's such a beautiful picture of, um, of what we're sent to do, right? Uh, we're not sent because God's like, hey, who's the brightest, most strategic thinkers in our mix? Who's the people with a lot of business sense that can kind of figure out how to strategize this movement that I'm trying to create? No, we're basically people that are outcasts, that are like, you know, the world doesn't love us. We're, we're just, you know, we're who we are. And we've stumbled into this camp where we found this beautiful, like, bountiful feast from the Lord, okay? This is our mission statement as a church. We're finding life in Jesus together. We found this life in Jesus, and then we get to walk back to the people that, that didn't really care about us and just say, hey, just so you know, there's a whole lot of life to be found here, right? That is the simple invitation that we have. If we're not finding life in Jesus, we don't have anything to invite people to, right? But if we are finding life in Jesus, that is all it takes is, and, and that, that's, that's the experience of the kingdom, and I want to share with you, I'm a little, I'm kind of riding a high from yesterday a little bit, but um, yesterday we baptized 14 people in our church family, and it was awesome. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And so here, here we are um, at, the, at Lake Natoma, and we're here baptizing people. Here's um, uh, the people baptizing and the people baptized. So 14 of those folks got baptized, and every single one is this amazing story of God working. Some of them, like, really new, like God just broke into someone's life, and they're like, yes, I want to get baptized, let's do it. And others, like, following Jesus for a long time, and like, you know, I've never been baptized, let's do this, you know? But that is such a beautiful, meaningful thing. But here's, here's like, here's where it felt the most like the kingdom to me. Um, and I think this picture captures it pretty well. It's, it's this. There was this uh, army of you guys, our Creekside family, that were there, right? And we're saying, like, look at this amazing, beautiful thing that God was doing. Let's cheer these people on. Let's get together. And we spent the morning just hanging out at this beautiful spot on the water with all these lovely people, talking, um, sharing stories, like celebrating what God had done. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I just feel like, man, that, that's a taste of the kingdom, right? We experience that taste of the kingdom, and, and what we get to do is go to the people around us, go into these houses, peace be upon you, um, anyone that is willing to like invest in that relational time with us, and we get to say, like, hey man, we're, we're, here, to, we're here to heal in the name of Jesus, we're here to offer peace, we're here to, to, to give you an experience, an encounter with the kingdom of God, like this kind of one that we had yesterday, like the one that we are having right now as we're together and fellowshipping, it's a beautiful thing. 
I, I want to say also, it's, it's also a picture of what we experience in our, in our groups together. So as we get together um, in our small groups, so we have discipleship groups where we dig into the word of God together um, and ensure that like fellowship and everything in that setting too, and our gospel communities where it's, it's specifically meal focused, relationally focused. And from there we do discipleship. And both those types of settings is a way to experience the kingdom of God together in a rich way. And um, amen, the whole thing is designed for us to be able to go to the people around us and say, hey, we're experiencing, we're finding life in Jesus. We're experiencing what the kingdom of God is like in these settings. And I'm telling you, anytime I gather with one of our gospel communities, it's like this beautiful um, picture of the kingdom of God. Um, and so, anyways, so here's the little shameless ad in the midst of it. Um, we're launching groups again, and I just want to extend that invite to you guys. Um, I would love to have you in a gospel community or one of our discipleship groups. Like, it is a beautiful way to experience God. Um, on August 28th, we're going to be out in our new backyard. I cannot wait to, like, break this in with all of you guys. Um, but, like, let's minimize the breaking part of that. Let's just enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? It's so nice. Let's just enjoy it. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to do that on August 28th. And we're going to, the point of it is, if, you, if you're in a group, come to it. If you want to be in a group, come. We're going to make it really easy for you to join a group and get connected. If you have no intention of joining a group and want to like come to an event where you can leave without feeling pressured to join a group, come. We're going to treat all of you really well, okay? And, um, but we just want to make it easy to kind of celebrate and be together. And it's going to be a moment of the kingdom of God. I can promise you that. Um, but come, RSVP, so we know how much food to get and everything else. Um, and you can do that. There's a little QR code in front of you. Okay, my little spiel is over. But I want you to, and you can join groups online right now too. Same thing with the QR code. But I, that is so much of how we experience it. All right, I want to end with this. Verses 10 to 16. I want to read the first couple of verses of that section. Jesus says, Whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So here's where I want to uh, land the plane with this this morning is simply this. He's saying um, there is like the town of Sodom. He invokes Sodom, okay? And you guys know Sodom. Sodom is famous. It's a city that famously God destroyed with like fire from heaven, okay? And destroyed the city. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, yeah, Sodom had it rough, but here's the kind of city that's going to have it really rough, okay? So something that's worse than what happened to Sodom, which I can't even imagine, Jesus is saying it's this. It's when you go into that city and you proclaim the peace of God and you, and you proclaim to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I want you to know the kingdom of God is really close. And when people look at that and they say, no thanks, I don't want anything to do with that kingdom of God. He says, if that is the case for those people, man, it would have been better if they had the fate of Sodom happen to them than, than for what they're doing in rejecting the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, this is what I, this is what I, I couldn't get out of my head this week, is um, when people reject Jesus or reject the church or reject us as his followers, what are they actually rejecting? Because look, it's one thing for people to see Christians and see that, you know what, we're a group of naturally conservative people that all kind of vote Republican. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's one thing if people reject that, okay? It's another thing if, if people look at us and say, oh, yeah, Christians, I know, they're the ones that kind of share Bible verses on social media on occasion and mostly just kind of live like the rest of us do, right? It's one thing for people to reject that, right? But if people have had an encounter with the actual kingdom of God, right, where we are Together, we're eating and we're drinking and we're enjoying life. We're sharing life. We're laying down our lives to serve the people around us. We're in humility, praying for and serving each other. If that kind of a thing, 
breaks into our lives, into our communities, into the places where we're living, into our neighborhoods, if that kind of thing is there and people see that and say, I don't want anything to do with it, well, that's a whole different thing that they're rejecting. And unfortunately, I would say we make it easy in the church, in the American church these days, to see and reject the like conservative political version of Christianity. Like, see this. This is the big thing. This is our identity that we put forward. See this. And a lot, we make it easy for people just to reject that and think they're rejecting Jesus. But man, it's so much different and harder if what people see, man, if we, if we could be a church that gives people a picture of what the kingdom actually looks like, where, man, we're shaped by the truth of God. We're living according to his design. We're loving and serving the people around us. We're going deeper into the ways of God and those things. If people could see that, if we could make that clear, if we could invite people into an experience of that, man, then they have an opportunity to actually see who Jesus really is. And then that could be the thing that they're actually rejecting or accepting. I mean, that's my prayer. That's my prayer with our small groups. That's my prayer with our gospel communities is that people would have an encounter of what it looks like for us to live together as the people of God, as the kingdom of God. And, and if people don't want anything to do with that, it's okay. Walk away, shake the dust. It's okay. Um, Jesus warns against rejecting that, certainly. Um, but our job is not to make the sale, right? Our job is not to seal the deal. Um, as we said when we looked at 1 Corinthians 3, our job is plant a seed and water a seed. God is the one that produces the growth in that whole thing. And so I just feel this immense freedom after looking at this. There, there's a scary side. Jesus doesn't have any followers that he does not send out. So even though as we're excited to send Calvin out, and I cannot wait to hear what God does through him in Madison, Wisconsin, I mean, as we send him out, we keep in mind that, man, we are sent as well. And it's great for us to be here together. I love it. I'm never giving that up. Um, but also, every day, we're all sent out. Let's go together. <laughs> Let's be sent out two by two or, or, uh, or more than that, right? Let's go to the people and the places around us. Let's extend the peace of God. Let's, let's bring all the healing that is found in Jesus. Um, let's, let's embody the kingdom of God so that people can see it and respond. Um, let me pray for us as we process that and continue to worship. Lord, I am so thankful um, for these words this morning. I just have loved sitting with this, um, this chapter and this big story that you're writing. Lord, thank you that you take, took your people, your followers. Lord, thank you that you chose the, the 12 that you did, people that were um, beautiful in many ways, but also so clearly flawed and so clearly imperfect and that so clearly struggled to have faith and to follow effectively. Um, Lord, because those are the people that you chose and sent and used, I feel uh, like following you is relatable. That feels like my experience. And Lord, just look at my church family here, and I, I believe deeply that you have uh, loved us, that you've given yourself in love to sacrificially to die for us, to die in our place, to offer us forgiveness and new life in you. Thank you for the people that we baptize that are declaring that and experiencing that in you. Uh, Lord, also, all of us are experiencing that life in you, and I pray that you would just bind us together. Lord, make, make supernatural connections, please, in our lives, that we can be people that are connecting with each other and living together according to your kingdom in ways that are so compelling that we can just offer that to the people around us. May we not hide from the world around us, but may we just go in blessing and in love and in healing. And Lord, as we do, would you just do amazing, miraculous things in our hearts and in the lives of the people around us. I'm so thankful that we get to serve and love and be loved by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.